This is the Spur Leadership Podcast, episode number one. We're here today with Chad Hennings. Chad is, of course, a former Dallas Cowboy after a nine-year career in the NFL, three-time Super Bowl champion, and before any of those things happened, was a combat pilot in the Air Force after graduating from the Air Force Academy where he won the Outland Trophy. The Outland Trophy, most decorated lineman in the country? Offensive or defensive, correct? Yes. All right, there you go. Chad, welcome. We're honored to have you. Matt, good to be here. Thank you for having me. Chad is currently in business and very engaged in the community in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. He regularly speaks to executive audiences across the country from American Airlines to Bank of America, General Motors, Citigroup, and other U.S. governmental agencies. He and his wife, Tammy, have a son, Chase, and a daughter, Brenna, and, of course, live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, or as he likes to say, the center of the known universe. That's right, Cowboys. That's because of the Cowboys there, God's team's there. You know, Chad, it's funny. I grew up in Houston in the middle of the Love You Blue era with Earl Campbell and Dan Pastorini and Bum Phillips and all that. But having been born in Dallas, my dad raised me a Cowboys fan in hostile territory. So my Cowboys bona fides are deep and true because I, I was able to withstand that when I was in middle school and high school growing up in Houston. That's, I mean, that's, those are Cowboy fans. I mean, I am amazed at the, the breadth, breadth of cowboy fans when we were serving uh, flying missions out of Turkey into northern Iraq and the first Gulf War and Operation Provide Comfort, there were, you know, people found out, Turk, Turkish nationals found out, I played for the Dallas Cowboys and, and they knew about the Cowboys there. You know, and then every place that we would play, I played in almost every American Bowl um, back in the day and those were the games that they had overseas. I played in Tokyo twice, I played in London, played in Toronto, played in Mexico City, played in, in Monterey been all over and because the the Cowboys are truly America's team and they're such a global brand that's the thing that's amazing to me is like you said everywhere you go around the world there you're going to find Cowboys fans it is and it's that star has power and Jerry has done a phenomenal job that's why the Cowboys are a four billion dollar entity isn't that staggering billion dollars particularly since he bought them for whatever it was 150 million bucks i I think it was 120 million 120 million and he was leveraged to the teeth (laughs) to pull that off what was that 89 yep i remember that i still remember the story of him flying into the lakeway airport to fire tom landry and he had already heard about it on the news the jimmy job but i want to get to that in a minute but because i think it's it's a fascinating thing Talk to us a little bit. I, I'm fascinated to know, kind of tell us a little bit about where you've been and what your career's been like post-NFL. Post-NFL, I've, I've uh, done a variety of different things from author to speaker, do a lot of motivational speaking. I've done different consulting work. I've done different private equity. And now I do uh, predominantly commercial real estate. I have a company called Rubicon Representation, two other partners. We've got uh, several sales associates that work for us, and we gear around um, tenant representation, development of buildings, uh, principal sale of buildings, sale leasebacks, everything around the user. And that's it's a good time to be in that business. And that no business doubt. has been, you know, for the last four years, been, been very well. Now, i got to ask you this question. Is there a significance to the name Rubicon? 
you know, not everybody kind of talks. It was uh, one of our partners uh, wanted to name it because Cross Rubicon because a point of no return. So <laughs> we're going to do it. Let's do it. You know, we were we got to be a part of the group that started Lake Hills Church back in '97, and one of the hardest things we had to do was come up with the name of a church. You know, how are you going to be known? As, as an entity going forward, because you didn't want to do something that was just like limited to a certain neighborhood or, or part exactly. of town that, that people go, like, well, I don't live over there, so I'm not going to go to church. So I'm always fascinated by when people start a business, how do you name it? It's harder than people think. It is. And, and I'm always under the, uh, the guys that the name will come to you. You know, I, when you start a business, you have to have a name going out of it. But I, I started a men's ministry years ago called Wingmen. And um, you're kind of like, well, what are we going to call ourselves? And I found myself making a lot of analogies in regards to men's relationships around what it was like to be a wingman, where you go out either training or combat, you're flying with another aircraft, and you never go by yourself, you never solo. So I use that w- word picture of being a wingman, and that's well, you know what, wingman ministries. Well, that's and we I think it. that's such a good. I mean, I again, this may be a reflection on my own misspent youth, but I think about. And I know they were Navy, but I think about Top Gun. You never leave your wingman, right? You never exactly. leave your wingman. It's it's that's you know the, that's the word picture I want men to have. That yeah. We to get through this life, you need relationships. Okay, which I think brings up a great question because I can only imagine when you because you you got to play in the NFL and you win three Super Bowls and you're on the Dallas Cowboys, high profile team, high profile player, Super Bowl champion. Tell me a little bit about what was that like when, when you decided to hang it up and retire? What's that like, like the first two weeks after you realize you're not going to training camp that year? You know, after nine years in the league and um, I was 35 years old at the time, I ended up having, I remember this like it was yesterday too, I was, we were playing the Jacksonville Jaguars at Old Texas Stadium and I, fourth quarter, remember getting into my stance, putting my head back, you know, looking up, reading the offense, and there was a tingling sensation went down both my arms. And I, this is unusual. This is the first time I ever experienced anything like this. Ended up and that was uh, in the game. That was in the game, and I ended up finishing the game and did an evaluation afterwards, and I ended up having some some neuropathy conditions and MRI and I knew went out to dinner with some friends that evening and I knew my career was done I, I knew it I knew I'm, this was it what part of the season was that halfway through the season eighth eighth game so it's about this time of the year you know November yeah. time frame and then went and had an MRI and ended up having a lot of stenosis spurs inflammation due to uh, uh, bony growth on my spinal cord you know my uh, cervical vertebrae pushing into my spinal cord and had to have a cervical fusion. And I was like, man, you know, God made it intuitively obvious to me. Yeah. And I was, I was going through rehab. I remember going back after the surgery, trying to, you know, regain some strength. And I sat in my locker, kind of looked around and I said, I'm done. Wow. Got up, walked out. That was it. So did you have the surgery immediately or did you finish the season? I had the surgery. I needed to have the surgery just to prevent either further injury or damage because there was inflammation on the spinal cord. Ooh. And that was, you know, that, that was the wake up for me. And, but th- there was precedence. Daryl Johnston, the moose, yeah. also had that same surgery a couple years prior, and he came back to play a year. So they, the decision was mine whether to play or not. And I'm like, I had one more year left in my contract. 
Um, you know, I'd accomplished everything I wanted to do. I had two little kids and, you know, early 30s, time to use my brain over my brawn. Now, some <laughs> people would argue whether I have brains at all, but, <laughs> but, but it was time to go do something 35 different. 35 is old in NFL years. Oh, that's a, an octogenarian. What, mean, what, how old were you when you began your – so you were 26 when you started the career? First started – well, 20, turned 27 Okay. That, that initial season. So I was a 27-year-old rookie. Wow. I was already Because you the had old to fulfill man. your obligation yeah, to the Air Force. Yeah, I served uh, my commitment or you got to the Air to, Force. You got to fulfill your commitment. Got to fulfill my commitment. So you're a 35-year-old old man – yeah, I used to tease my teammates that, you know, hey, guys, I had a real job before I came here. <laughs> and, you know, and that's funny that it's innate. And even in the players at the time, you know, as they're winning Super Bowls, you know, Troy Aikman's, your Michael Irvin, Emmett Smith, those guys, they didn't want to hear any stories about past glory days of football. They really want to know what it was like to fly an A-10. What was it like to yeah. fly in the northern Iraq? What were those experiences like? Because I think that's innate in, in every man. They want to see – test themselves no in that doubt. type of stress and combat situation. And uh, I've been very fortunate to do over the years, even when I was p- playing with the Cowboys, to do different functions and events with our U.S. military. Um, we played Super Bowl Thirty out at Luke Air Force Base. Classmates of mine are flying F-16s out there as instructors, taking them out and allowing some of these guys to fly the tactical sims. They loved it. Sure. They loved it. Well, I think, too, when you, when you play at that level, and excel to that degree, you wonder how and if that would translate into other arenas, especially when you talk about because both of those jobs are the elite of the elite. Well, you know, I'm a firm believer in universal truths that 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 yeah. it doesn't matter what you do, those those traits of commitment, of perseverance, overcoming obstacles, of uh, ability to work with others, improving your own self as an individual and how that works in the confines of a team. It was no matter if I was in a fighter squadron, you know, where you're trying to accomplish a specific mission or task, it means accomplishing, you know, whatever that might be in a training mission or a mission in combat, whether it be reconnaissance or or whatever, was no different than being in a locker room prepping for a game against the Philadelphia Eagles. You know, we, it was those same traits and characteristics and behavior and mannerisms that made us a success in either one. And I've taken those same traits, characteristics, and mannerisms now into business, motivating the young guys, you know, pursuing different business accounts. You know, it's, it doesn't matter. The truth is truth is truth, no matter what vertical of life you find yourself right, in. Right, right. In business now, how many people are in your company? We have uh, 16. Okay. Okay. So, and they, are they kind of all ages, ranges, and assignments? Yeah, I'm definitely the oldest guy. I'm Are the you? old man, once again. I think the next youngest guy, or next oldest guy, is 37 years old. But, um, but no, we, what is so important, when we started Rubicon, we sat down, we, we basically said the most important thing, or I encourage guys to think about, the most important thing is culture. We yeah. have to protect our culture. And we purposely recruit um, and hire former athletes and or military individuals because of that culture, because they get it. Right. Due to those traits that we just mentioned previous. And, um, and that's, you know, you, you, you try and make the best hiring decisions. Sometimes you hire the good ones and sometimes not, but it's, it's that culture you got to maintain and be so protective of. Okay. I wanted to ask you about that, and I was going to do it later, but I'm going to ask you right now. 
when you talk about hiring for culture today, how process driven, how systematized is your hiring process? It's um, it needs to probably be a, a little more process derived. This is this is the smile of recognition. Yeah, I understand what you're talking yeah. about, but go ahead. But it's it's the aspect of an individual looks great on paper, resume, but when you talk to them and you start to ask them, I you know ask them kind of off the questions to see if it's all about them or if they're going to be a team player. You know. Paint different scenarios, or like what kind of questions? Well, do you, you know, ask? for a scenario, you know, derived on character. Have you downloaded anything off the uh, internet music for free that you haven't paid for? You know, and that, it takes me back to that old ask. Or how are they? You know, in the relationships uh, with individuals. I always go back to a, a story I read about Teddy Roosevelt when his kind of his middle years, where he was cattle ranching up in North Dakota, and. Um, one of his hired hands, as they were going through the branding process, had a calf that he was changing the brand. It was one of their neighboring ranch's calves. And he says, what are you doing? He says, ah, don't worry. You know, I'm just changing this brand. It's ours now. And he fired the guy on the spot. Yep. He said, anybody that will steal for me will steal from me. Yeah, yeah. And I take that in regards to relationships, too. If you're willing to compromise your integrity or rationalize your behavior in certain one area, I mean, you're easy to fall down that rabbit trap and do it in others. I'll tell you another one that I think is a universal law. If somebody walks into an interview with me trashing their previous boss or the mm. boss that they currently work for, it's over. Yeah. Because they're, if they're leading with that, they'll end up talking bad about me or people, other people on our staff. I always, I always wonder, how do, you, how do you handle where you're leaving Leaving well is a really, really rare skill. And that's one thing that I've always strived to do is to burn no bridges. Right. Speak, you know, I may share my opinions and thoughts with close personal friends and sure. or my wife, but, you know, in public, I tell, even tell my guys, even though you may be getting screwed by somebody in business, yep. or they're not treating you well, don't say anything negative about them because, you know, as, as Joe Evazano, my old special teams coach, used to say, it only catches up to you when it catches up to you. Is that who that was? And it always catches up to you. Yep. I remember Coach Joe. Coach Joe. Good man. Good man. He couldn't sing for a lick, but he <laughs> but tried never to be a country western star. Never yeah, slowed him never down. Never slowed him down. <laughs> um, so when you talk about hiring for culture, you, you make that decision. You, you pull the trigger and say, okay, we're bringing this guy. We're bringing this woman in. You're now part of our team. Talk about how you, I don't, know if, I don't know if you necessarily have measurings, but how you evaluate their fit in your culture once they're a part of your team. Sure. And, you know, it, there are certain things you can teach and certain things you can't teach. No I can doubt. teach you the X's and O's of conducting a real estate transaction right. and negotiating a lease or whatnot, but I can't teach you work ethic. That's the easy stuff. Yeah. The stuff you can teach is easy. Yeah. So it's, Comparatively. it's, you know, what we do is, is we seed into, you know, leadership and a lot of it is just not like talking, talk, but walking the walk, actually demonstrating, come with me, come to a meeting, see how I interact with a potential client, how I interact in a sales process, mm -hmm. you know, watch me right do this. And then for the evaluation process, it's at the point, the time where it's, you know, I firmly believe it's, you know, watch me as I go 
then we go together, do it, then I watch you as you do it, then I see you take that next step in development of teaching someone else. Right. Because if you can teach it, you've you know absorbed it. it. Right. You know it. Right. And and that's kind of you know the growth. Do we have a defined block? Two weeks, you got to get. No, everybody's different. Sure. But we want to encourage those individuals to to be that self-starter, that self-sustainer, to have that work ethic, and to you know walk side by side with them during the process. You know, I remember the remember the old TV show ER. Yeah. It was a teaching hospital, and they, I, I'll never. I've always remembered this. They would always tell people. Watch one, do one, teach one of whatever the procedure was. If somebody came into the ER, you know, with a gunshot wound or GSW, as we like to say in the medical field. But they would say, hey, watch one, do one, and then teach one. And I think it's that same kind of thing that you do when you're mentoring people in leadership to say, hey, I'm, I'm going to show you how it's done. But at some point, I need you to be able to figure this out and go make it happen on your own. And I think that's the number one rule of parenting, too. You know, that's one difference, I think, between my wife and myself. I love you, Tammy. love you, honey. But, you know, as a mom, they were, God created them to be a nurturer. No To take care question. for. And as a father, it's the charge job from day one when the child is born, you take him home from the hospital, is to raise that individual to be an independent, eventual adult on their own. No it's question To challenge about them it. to take charge of their own lives and, and to go. And that's... It's the same thing in business. You're, you're parenting. Leadership is easy in the marketplace compared to leadership in the home. Now, leadership in the marketplace is never easy, but it's always easier. You know, my wife, Julie, has a great, I think, a great insight. She says, you know, Mac, so many men struggle at home because at work, people listen to them. People do what they tell them to do because they've got a paycheck or they hold their job over their head or whatever. But you come home, and if your kids don't trust you, they look at you like you have two heads and go, why would I do what you tell me to do? Yeah. And, and so that creates a real dissonance for a lot of you know, high-achieving people in the marketplace, men and women, who then struggle when they get home. But it, all, it, it, it really is that, that core element of trust, whether it's your kids or your spouse, or the people that you work with, if they trust you, they'll let you push them. They'll let you challenge them. They'll let you hold them accountable. But if they don't trust you, they're going to tell you what they think you want to hear. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I want to go back. I want to. We've talked about life since the NFL. I want to skip back over the NFL and flying combat missions. Take us back to when you were a kid growing up in Iowa, farm boy, Long way from Texas Stadium and, and bright lights and that kind of thing. Tell us a little bit about kind of how you grew up and what your family was like. You know, to, to grow up and to be to, to earn a commission to the Air Force Academy and then to go on and do the things that you've done, there was something going on at home that, that built some stuff inside you. For me, I'm very blessed and fortunate to have grown up on a farm in the east central part of Iowa, a farm that had been in our family for over 125 years. It was a you know, 900-plus acre farm at the time, but our main stay of income was a feedlot operation where we fed feeder cattle. Yep. And, and that was one of those things that you had to feed the cattle twice a day, sometimes three times a day, rain or shine. You know, like no matter postman, what. No matter what, no matter how you felt. And I watched... You know, as a young man growing up, my father, my grandfather, work, as, as well as my mother. I mean, it was a whole family affair. And then uh, my mom actually went back and got her college degree the same year I graduated from high school. 
Really? So I admired, you know, just that work What did she get her degree in? She got her degree, I believe, it was in physical education with a minor in special education, and then she went on to be a, a very successful stockbroker. So it, evidently it's that really coaching, teaching, working with kids like me that probably needed, well, I won't go there, <laughs> special education. But uh, very personable lady, very successful in her own right, too. Um, but 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 it was that work ethic and surrounded like yeah. that. And then the competition that I had with my older brother, huge sibling rivalry that we pushed each other. Or he probably pushed me more so than than I pushed him because I wanted to be like him. I wanted to beat him. I wanted to aspire to to achieve. And then it was that kind of point in mid high school range, sophomore year, where I I got it. The light bulb went on, and as I talk with my kids today now, too, at some point in time, you got to take ownership in who you are. Right. Who do you choose to be? I'm no longer, you know, Barbara and Bill Hennings is, I'll always be their son, but right. uh, they're not dictating to me, do this, do this, do this, that it's now, it's me. This is the individual that I choose to be and what I aspire to It's your to responsibility. Achieve. It's my responsibility. I took ownership in that. And that's where, you know, that life, that's where I started to pursue, you know, well, even more so getting better on the football field. I wrestled, um, achieving success from the mat to, you know, academic classroom, National Honor Society being, you know, the different um, academic honors and then eventually getting the nomination to to the Air Force Academy. Okay, so when you played in the NFL, you're what, 6'5", 6'6"? 6'6". 6'6", you were 275, 295 at one point, right? Yep. Your older brother... Talk about was he was he bigger than you growing up or we is he always, bigger than you now? No, we we're always about the same size growing up, and then I had a huge growth spurt between like my uh, sophomore and junior year okay. where I really surpassed him. <laughs> you know, he's six foot, you know, two hundred twenty five pounds. What does um, he do now? He farms. Really, I mean, he we it's a big more corporate uh, farming. They farm about three thousand twenty five hundred acres wow. now. Corn, so I mean, so they're just finishing up the harvest as they go now. But no, and that's continuing on that Hennings tradition. I mean, it's legacy worth. My great, great, great grandfather settled that area. So it's that's awesome though to have those kind of roots. And and I think too, you know, my wife grew up in a really small town in Mississippi. I grew up in Houston, big city. My parents divorced. My grandparents lived in in Beaumont. But my wife, she grew up in one town her whole life she lived in two houses her whole life growing up but that that kind of anchored her and and rooted her in a, in a way that I think you're kind of describing yeah it, and it's but I interrupted you about your brother so at a certain point that sibling rivalry you surpass him physically and then was there a point where he kind of quit messing with you yeah I mean there was <laughs> you always have that one point and uh, where it came down to a little fisticuffs you know as kids and right you know Right, wrong, or indifferent. I think that's a great way for sometimes young men to settle issues where you come to blows, but then you give each other a hug afterwards, and you're you're still brothers. That's what I appreciate. You know, just a quick side about our U.S. military. Yep. You know, the rivalry between the Air Force, the Army, the, the Marines, the Navy. You know, they fight like cats and dogs amongst us. But right. man, Katie bar the door. Somebody attacks, we pull together, and we're the greatest fighting forces in the history of mankind. 